0: Good morning, this is John from Nerd Noise Radio, and I'm here today to do a couple things. I'm here to introduce an all new channel to the program, as well as share a Christmas memory different than the one I shared before. I'm also going to do this completely unscripted. So there may be some pauses, there may be some ums, there may be some (laughs) that. I'll try to edit most of that out, but forgive me if I miss a bit. So a new channel, And I've made reference to this before, but I decided I wanted to have a channel dedicated to betas and bonuses and extra stuff. Stuff that just didn't fit the mold for any other channel. Now, before the show actually launched, I did create a dummy feed and it was under one of the most ridiculous, it was under the most ridiculous pseudonym I could think of at the time. It was called Disco Santa's House of Impossible Conundrums. And I would release Channel 1 programs early and the titles of the show and the descriptions would be completely ridiculous uh, that was another part of the game is to go as ridiculous as I could on that front and that way I could get the shows out to a few people but it would protect them from being googled you know uh, they did not contain track listings they contain nothing to tie it to Nerd Noise Radio in in any text in anything but the sound file so Nerd Noise Radio Channel 1 Episode 2 twisted sign. I wanna say it was called Buy Her an Exploding Outhouse for Christmas this year. Stuff like that. In any case, that purpose ran its course after probably episode ten. But since then I've I've wanted to keep it and use it for extras, betas, bonuses. And so I've renamed it Nerd Noise Radio Channel F. And it has a slogan now, it's Try Before You Buy. So I'm releasing that channel on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher now. And its contents will also appear in the All Channels feed. Now if you're subscribed to the Channel 1 feed, you're, you're not going to get any of this. Also, just like the dedicated Channel 1 feed, this will be lo-fi, and it will be limited to two hours of content a month. In the near future, I hope to uh, record a couple betas for Channel 2, and a, you know maybe a pilot. Uh, and then I have another channel idea that I'll float here on Channel F, and let you guys give me feedback on what you think of it. In any case, to kick things off with Channel F, I thought I would present another Christmas memory. Now, last year before the launch of Channel One, I recorded a memoir of Christmas 1989, and it was actually me reading an article I wrote that was the memoir on Christmas 1989. Now, I wanted to share the story of Christmas 1992 today, especially appropriate since we're coming, that be the 25th anniversary. Uh, this Christmas will be the 25th anniversary. This story isn't as memorable This story isn't as impactful or as significant as 1989, uh, which is why there was no article written for it. But it's a funny story, it's a cool story, and it's one that's meaningful and precious to me anyway. So, delivered with much less panache and flair (laughs) than the Christmas 1989 story, here's Christmas 1992. Now, we go back a couple weeks before Christmas. At the time, I was 12, uh, a couple months away from turning 13, my brother was 11, and we had a stay-at-home dad and a working mom, and almost never were both parents out of the house at the same time. Uh, We never never spent a day in daycare, you know, because dad took care of us. But anyway, parents were almost never, ever, ever out of the house at the same time. Well, some particular evening, about two weeks before Christmas 1992, for reasons I don't remember, they were out of the house. And so, what? What's a 12-year-old and 11-year-old to do? But snoop around, try to find presents. And we did. Uh, in their bedroom, we found a TurboGrafx-16. Now, I want to say we found a couple games, but I can't recall the particulars. And that, I mean, that might be a fiction anyway. We might really have only found the system. But uh, understandably, we were elated. We were super duper excited by what we found. And so, the, the trick over the course of the next two weeks was to not act excited. You know, we couldn't tell our friends at school. We couldn't let on to mom and dad that we knew anything or the whole thing could have been blown, which was really tough for kids that age, especially with as exciting as a new system is. Well, at the time we had a catalog of various games, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, Graphics, uh, Game Boy, Game Gear. I, there might've even been some Master System stuff. I, I'm kind of doubting it by that late date, but yeah. And before we made the discovery, we were looking through these because they had pictures for a number of the games they talked about. And so the TurboGrafx sixteen section became extra important to us and we kept pouring over that, pouring over that, talking and dreaming, you know, about what games we would want for it. Prior to this, the only experience we ever had with the TurboGrafx was a brief, I don't know, five, ten minutes to play in a kiosk at Children's Palace in West Des Moines. So we we really didn't have a lot of exposure experience with the system. Well, Christmas morning comes, and we open all the presents, and there's no video games. Now, if the Christmas 1989 story tells you anything, our parents have a penchant for beneficial pranks, we'll say, with the NES cartridges for our Atari, turning out to be a new Nintendo. We knew that something was afoot. Now, one thing my parents are not are good actors, and sure enough, without missing a beat, Dad's like, Oh, Val, didn't you forget something in the back? It was a very very transparent and wooden performance. And even more wooden came my mom's response, oh yes, let me go and check and see. And so my brother and I shoot each other a knowing smile. But that smile is wiped off our face and replaced by panic borderline panic when the boxes that she returns with are not the right shape or size. Now, it's not a a deal where they were big enough to be a box within a box that wouldn't have worried us a bit. These boxes were shaped and sized in a way that could not possibly be a TurboGrafx-16. So, at this point, we're actually kind of scared. Like, what's going on? You know, what is this madness? Well, we open up the, we open up the big one and it's a Super Nintendo with with Super Mario World and then the smaller one is Legend of Zelda uh, Link to the Past and with it comes a promise that on the day after Christmas we would go out to the nearby Target and buy a third game and so Mario was ours Zelda was mine and then the game that we would get tomorrow my brother would get to pick and it would be his it turned out to be (laughs) Spider-Man X-Men a not very good game with absolutely stellar music. It definitely set the tone for the kind of magic we Nintendo kids could expect from the 16-bit generation in terms of quality of music, and to this day, remains one of my favorite soundtracks. So, what happened? Why did, why did this happen? Why did we have the TurboGrafx-16 and then lose the TurboGrafx-16? Well, my parents got it for us and then started hearing negative feedback and were persuaded by store clerks to make the trade for the Super Nintendo. And I wanna say something about that. These days, I've come to appreciate and love the TurboGrafx-16 and PC Engine so much that I would dare call myself a bigger PC Engine fan than Super Nintendo fan. Now I know that's very controversial, it's very radical, and I could defend it, but not in anything shorter than 6,000 words, probably. And so I really love and appreciate the TurboGrafx-16 now, but in retrospect, my goodness, it probably was the best decision they could have made. Because with as few games as came to the US TurboGrafx-16, with as niche as it was, and with as misunderstood as the hardware was, I will maintain that the TurboGrafx-16 is comparable hardware to the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, but the perception is that it's quote-unquote 12-bit, that it's somewhere in between Nintendo and Super Nintendo, like this mid-tier. And while I reject that notion now, I would have had no defense against that notion then, and I probably would have been very jaded and disappointed and disillusioned with the system. Now, it could have galvanized me and turned me into a real diehard. Uh, That's possible. Or it could have really ruined the system for me. Instead, we got the Super Nintendo. We got to participate in the Bit Wars. Lots of bulging neck veins and beat red faces and outright screaming and shouting. And I don't think it ever came to physical blows, but next closest thing, I think. I think it stopped just before Shoves started. So I think it turned out the way it was supposed to. Now, I've blown the punchline already that I've since gotten a TurboGrafx-16, but a quick story about that. This has no relation to Christmas whatsoever, even though it happened in the month of December. December 2000, early December, I want to say December 10th. A friend of mine had got a TurboGrafx-16 in about seven games, was going through some real financial hardship, and uh, needed to sell it. He sold it to me for $10. And it contained, let's see what games did I get, Bonk, Legendary Acts, um... Uh, Keith Courage, um, mm, Victory Run, uh, Tricky Kick, and I know there was at least one or two others, but I can't recall what they are now. In any case, it's the best $10 I've ever spent in my life, I think. (laughs) And I've since gone on to get a Turbo Duo and have a collection of a modest collection, maybe 20, 20 TurboGrafx-16 games, one PC engine game, and I have an adapter to make that work. So, anyway, that's the story of Christmas 1992. We did go on to get a Sega Genesis, not too much later, it was some... I don't remember the circumstances, I think a friend was selling one for cheap, it was some random day in September, early September, 1993, so it was only about nine months where we only had one system or the other. We spent the rest of our growing up with both. In any case, Christmas 92, couple extras, September 93, December 2000. Introduction to Nerd Noise Radio, Channel F. The first thing I plan to release on Channel F is my picks from Channel 1, Episode 18, the uh, face-off episode. I'm gonna go ahead and take that music block and cut it down to just my favorite versions of each track. And there's one track, and I won't say what it is, but there's one track where both versions are a tie. I can't pick a winner. I went into it with a clear winner, and the other version just grew on me so much, so fast that I can't declare a winner anymore. So this uh, John's Picks episode, or Face Off Friday, Volume One, will have one track where you still hear both versions. Now I'm also going to introduce a contest. Let's say, let's say the third person to email me at Nerd Radio. At gmail.com with a with a request to uh, to participate will be the winner, and what they'll win is they'll get to make their picks. And in January, when my content limit resets, we'll share their picks on channel F also. So you'll hear my picks. And then you'll hear the picks of one listener. And I think that's something I'll probably do moving forward for every Face-Off Friday episode. I think I will do one, uh, one standard Face-Off Friday episode every year. And I might have specials, uh, you know, Nerd Noise Radio crossovers. We saw one of those in 2017, two for Theme Thursday, Sega CD Music. Crossovers will be something I do once or twice a year. And there might be a face-off, like a soundtrack face-off. In any case, I know it's a rerun, and I know it's actually will be the third time. I've shared it. But since it's Christmas, and since it's such a great story, I'm going to lead us out with the Christmas 1989 story again, presented unedited. So I hope my editing and sound production skills have improved since then. Hopefully this will sound, this segment will sound way better than that segment. But in any case, Merry Christmas, and or whatever other holidays you celebrate. Happy New Year. Thank you guys for being with me through 2017. I look forward to 2018 And I have great confidence that it will be an even better season. Season two will be an even better season than season one was. So thank you for listening. And wherever you are, fly the N. this is John from Nerd Noise Radio and I'm here today to share with you one of my favorite Christmas memories it's the memory of Christmas 1989 now a few years ago for a now defunct magazine called retro gaming times monthly I wrote a memoir of this event uh, in an article called the fire and the glory and the unfortunate truth about what happened to the Transformers so without further ado why don't I go ahead and read that article? <clears throat> Sunday, December 24th, into Monday, December 25th, 1989, 1411 22nd Street, Apartment 3, Des Moines, Iowa. We lived in the ghetto. We lived in Apartment 3 of a standalone 12 unit, 3 story apartment building. Apartment 3 was in the northeast corner of the bottom floor apartment 10, which will be important later, was in the southwest corner of the top floor, as far away from apartment 3 as possible. It was Christmas Eve, and I couldn't sleep. My brother Jesse and I, 8 and 9 years old respectively, shared a room, and my bed was right under the window, affording me a good view of the southeast night sky. I lay there, sleepless, watching the sky for any sign of a certain airborne venison-propelled carriage, commandeered by its cheerfully corpulent custodian. Instead, all I was presented with was a swath of stars, muted by the inner city's glow, winking back at me as if to assure me of their shared vigil. Rising starkly against the night sky was the KCCI weather beacon, oblivious to such trivial matters, singularly focused to the point of mania with whether it was going to be warmer, cooler, dry, or wet. At long last, the search for Santa proved sufficiently exhausting, and I fell asleep. Next thing I knew, I was awakened very fervently by one of my parents, the other one having an even harder time with Jesse, telling us to get up in a hurry. There was a fire. At first I received this with skepticism, suspecting a clever ruse was afoot and we were about to be herded out to a pleasant parade of presents. But when I made it to the living room and received my first whiff of smoke, I realized this was no ruse at all. Entering the hallway was surreal and almost dreamlike. It was slightly hazy. There was a flurry of people, most of whom I recognized as other tenants, but could neither name nor assign to units. Firemen were also among those in the haze trying to see us to safety. With that same end in mind, Mom vigorously hurried us out to our nineteen seventy five Chevy Nova, while Dad ran back to se- ran back in to secure a uniquely valuable item. As it turns out, Apartment 10 was the one that was on fire, and since we were completely diagonal from it, horizontally and vertically, we were not in imminent danger. Of course, the fire department wasn't about to take any chances, and so they were evacuating everybody. Moreover, I do not believe that my parents were aware yet that the danger was so remote, and thus, Dad's flight back into the house, even if not in reality, was in perception, and therefore intent, a mad plunge back into mortal danger. Meanwhile, Mom, Jesse, and I were seated in the car, seeing only the red glow in the sky and the commotion below, the building itself blocking our view of the inferno. Now, while I do not remember this particular detail myself, I receive it in good faith from reliable sources that at one point during our automotive exile, I spontaneously broke into a chorus of Billy Joel's 1989 hit, We Didn't Start the Fire demonstrating for all present just what kind of grasp this nine-year-old had on the gravity and severity of the situation playing itself out before him. So transfixed were we with the scene that we nearly failed to notice Dad run towards, around, and finally behind the car to load a blanket-wrapped something into the trunk. After an unknown period of time, the all-clear was given and we were able to return, but not before Dad rushed the unknown object back into the house ahead of us. I do not recall having any trouble falling back to sleep, but I guess Dad never did, opting to stay awake in the living room for fear of any possible reignition. When Mom and Dad woke us up around 7 that morning, the customary hour for presents in our house, it was with full assurance that there was no emergency this time, but instead, it was time to get up and unwrap things. So, we padded out in our PJs and took up residence in the shadow of the majestic old aluminum tree. A wash in the glow from its trusty sidekick, the color wheel, buzzing its way through the cycle of red, green, blue, and yellow. Blue was my favorite, yellow my least. Once nestled around the tree, the customary organized chaos ensued, and the neatly wrapped packages surrendered their carefully concealed secrets. We received some Transformers from Uncle Paul. These will be important later in the story. There were also several things which for which I cannot remember. Then Dad handed Jesse and I each a squarish package to unwrap. They were game cartridges for the NES. His was Donkey Kong Jr., and mine was Excitebike. This revelation threw the room into confusion. Okay, that's overstating, but it did cause Jesse and I to look at each other in confusion. What gives? Clearly this was all a mistake, so I felt it was incumbent upon me straighten dad out. Now what follows is my correction address, if not verbatim, as close to it as I can manage. Oh, wow! Thank you, dad. Thank you very much. But these are Nintendo games. We have an Atari. You see, Nintendo is a way cooler, more powerful system, and our Atari just can't play them. Now everyone, including yours, truly agrees that it's the, you see, part that makes it so great. As I was making my attempt to bring clarity to the situation, Dad's way of handling it was to just sit there and let the grin on his face get bigger and bigger. After I was done, he allowed the words to hang in the air for a moment before playing dumb and saying, oh, my mistake, well, here you go, and he reached back behind the couch and pulled out a much larger wrapped package. Our, to that point, greatest hopes and dreams and aspirations in life were then realized when an NES emerged from underneath the wrapping paper. This was not only a Nintendo, it was THE Nintendo, the one that came with Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, two controllers, and the Zapper Light Gun. I don't remember anything from the next 30 minutes. This period of time is a blackout. It is lost to me. All I know about it is that Jesse and I went absolutely berserk. The sheer magnitude of the joy and excitement we felt must have temporarily taken my long-term memory recording device offline like a lightning strike to a power grid. Again, I have an unreliable report that I was running and jumping up and down through the hall between the living room and the bedrooms, shouting repeatedly, I can't believe it's mine. So After a brief but insufferable waiting period while the NES was set up, Jesse and I eagerly jumped in and started playing. It was too good to be true. It didn't seem real. Or perhaps more accurately, it was that everything did seem so real. When you're used to Atari 2600, then the even-to-us-now-basic-NES graphics sound and depth seemed nothing short of magical and epic. Now, of course, This wasn't the first time we had experienced the glory that was the NES. We had friends in the complex that had them and let us play. We also had numerous opportunities to bask in the mind-altering glow at several stores in the area. But this was different, because this was ours. We didn't have to go home. We were home. We didn't have to covet. It was ours. Now we could play it any time we wanted. Oh, the magic, the greatness, the glory. At some point, we goaded mom into trying Mario, and for her first amazing feat, she plunged headlong into a fatal collision with the game's first Goomba. After getting the hang of the Goombas jumping on or around them, things went smoothly, until about 30 seconds later when she encountered the game's very first pit. It proved too alluring to resist. Her difficulty with the game was probably for the best, though, as our eagerness to reclaim the controller quickly eroded any patience the spectacle produced. A short time later, we were told that Uncle Paul was on his way, and were instructed to demonstrate that we deeply appreciated the Transformers. The Transformers? That's right! We had totally forgotten! So, when the knock came, I rushed up, snatched the Transformer from its place, answered the door, and immediately launched into a profusion of half-sincere thank yous. To help underscore the half-honest interest and completely dishonest zeal, I decided to demonstrate the toy's transformative powers when the unthinkable happened. It broke. I stood locked in shock and horror as time phenomenologically lurched to a halt. But then the moment passed, time resumed, and I went back to playing Nintendo. Eventually, Paul tried his hand as well, producing nearly identical results to Mom's misadventures. And that was Christmas 1989, the most memorable Christmas of my life. Now, it didn't take long for the details of the fire to emerge. Apparently, the mother came home drunk and fell asleep on the couch with a lit cigarette in her mouth. This set off a chain of events which led me to sing We Didn't Start the Fire from a parked car in the middle of the night. The woman was okay, she was probably a little singed, but she was okay. Nobody died in the fire, but this woman and her son lost everything. Their apartment and all it contained were completely destroyed. Moreover, the apartments directly below received major water damage, and the other apartments on the third floor received major smoke damage. The hallway was rendered an oily, pitch-black smear from the smoke and heat, and the smoke detector, which had faithfully sounded the alarm from its ceiling perch, died in the line of duty, melting into a gruesome caricature and falling to the floor. The boy from apartment 10 was more or less our age. We had made his acquaintance, probably through playing in the halls, but never got close to him. I don't even remember his name. It also emerged that we were not going to be the only kids in the building that got a Nintendo that year. He was going to as well. Of course, his was ruined in the fire, sitting under what used to be a Christmas tree, and it all came to naught. They moved away after that, and I never knowingly saw or heard from him or about him again. I hope that the experience hasn't scarred him. I hope his life has gone better since. I hope his mother got straightened out. I hope that he got his Nintendo. I would love to get the chance to speak with him again, but not knowing his name or anything about him, what are the odds? The contrast between his Christmas and mine and his parents and mine are as stark as the white painted walls on our first floor hallway and the murky black smudge that was the third floor. Our day of extreme joy contrasted with his day of pain and fear The respect and admiration for my parents engendered by the contrast with his mother is a paradox that will remain with me until the day I die. His mother got drunk and started a fire which destroyed their home and his Nintendo, damaged several others homes, and most likely ruined all their Christmases that year. My mother whisked us out to the safety of the car. My father, not knowing he was safe, thinking he was risking his life, and indeed, risking his life in spirit if not in truth, rushed back in to rescue our NES from the inferno, preferring to face peril for the sake of a mere video game simply because he knew the NES would mean the world to his boys. All these things serve to make the memory of Christmas 1989 at 1411 22nd Street. In the final analysis, a very bittersweet one, and yet among my most cherished. Thank you for listening. That's the story, and we will talk to you later.